Hello and welcome to Revise, Rebut and Resubmit, a podcast that explores early career researchers' experiences in publishing their first academic paper and which celebrates this important milestone. My name is Jennifer Fitchett and I'm an Associate Professor of Physical Geography, an avid science communicator and a still relatively young academic with a passion for breaking down the barriers and unnecessary mysticism in the publication process. Each episode, I interview a new person on their journey in writing, revising, rebutting, resubmitting, and having their first academic paper published. This podcast is very kindly supported by the DSI-NRF Center of Excellence for Paleosciences. Dr. Minha Abrams completed her postgraduate degrees at the University of Cape Town, upgrading her MSc in Geology, which she started in 2016, to a PhD, which she graduated with in 2020. She is currently a lecturer in geology at the University of Cape Town, lecturing on sedimentology and co-leading a mapping field trip. Her research focuses on ethnology with a particular interest in dinosaur tracks and geochronology. Ming's first paper was published in PRJ, and her first first author paper a year later in historical biology. Very, very warm welcome to you, Ming, and thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm quite keen to be a part of it. That's so wonderful. So Ming, you are the first person who I've interviewed whose first paper came out where they were a collaborator or contributor rather than the first or lead author. And that's really exciting because I think it speaks so much to the various ways in which we can contribute to science as a researcher. So I wonder if you can just take us through the content of that first paper that was published in PRJ and what your role and contribution was to that particular piece. Okay, so this first paper, the reason I was on it is actually because we form a big dino tracking team. And 2013 was the year our dino tracking team really started dino tracking. And it was the December of 2015, and I went on the field trip, and this was our first time documenting a dinosaur footprint site. And it was myself and another COE student at the time, Barry Reed, and we were there with our supervisor, Emma Sherbordy, and we were photographing and measuring dinosaur tracks. And that's how I became a part of ultimately the publication, which was lead authored by Laura Shisho, who is also a member of the COE. And then how I contributed to the paper was because I had been in the field and seen the tracks in person for the publication, I was in charge of the raw data, like the measurements we'd collected, as well as tracing the footprints and creating those figures. And it was actually nice being part of a bigger team with some more senior people because it was my first writing experience. And it was nice because they kind of outlined everything I needed to do and they broke it down into smaller chunks and I had a clear idea of what was my responsibility without a lot of pressure of being one of the first few authors and I had a lot of fun on the field work and I had a lot of fun contributing to the paper and I was so proud having just started my master's that I'd already contributed to a scientific publication. And I feel like that gave me a lot of confidence as I carried on with my postgrad until ultimately the next year, I co-authored my first paper as the lead author. That's so and amazing. So, yeah, and it was quite interesting because I hadn't worked on dinosaur tracks before. And so this specific site had a lot of track detail, but it also had very interesting sedimentology 
which was quite nice because I'm a geologist um, by undergrad training and I guess by postgrad training. And so it had the best of both worlds. And I really got like a nice, easy welcome into the dinosaur track realm. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, a dinosaur tracking team sounds so amazing and (laughs) brilliant to hear that that kind of work is taking place. It's really the kind of thing that you hear about in children's storybooks and so amazing that they're real scientists doing that. Yeah. Also so cool that you had that experience and it's something that many of us only encounter quite far into our postdocs or into our first academic posts, the ability to form part of a bigger team and make a contribution to that team in the field and in the data collection and data analysis. But as you say, not have to take the full responsibility for a paper. Um, Often we are on our own and, and really driving and running every single project until much later on in our careers when we've established a name for ourselves. So it's amazing that that team was formed and that they were so open to including younger researchers and wonderful that they were acknowledging the intellectual contribution that younger researchers make in going into the field and in being responsible for a lot of data collection. And I certainly hope that this is something that we'll see increasingly more in the sciences, rather than requiring you to have made a name for yourself before you do that. So it's a really wonderful story. And I can hear how much you enjoyed that experience in the field and in the process of writing the paper. And that it did give you such confidence going forward by being able to almost watch people as an apprentice to the writing process and to the research process before you were having to take responsibility for it yourself. Major credit to Emisha because she really cultivated this team, obviously, as the leader. And she was very encouraging of everyone who then and later on in life who became part of the dino tracking team. And that was quite nice and nurturing, I think, for everyone who was a part of it. And so she really did cultivate a great working environment for postgrads and postdocs on the team. And made you feel valued, which is an invaluable thing. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's so wonderful to have one of those really great supervisors who is so invested in training future scientists rather than just trying to push through the next student on the pile, but really to make that very, very strong contribution to your future career. And it certainly sounds that like she's done that in the process then of building a really productive research team as well, who've put out quite a lot of work now on dino tracking, as well as broader areas in sedimentology. Yeah, lots of postgrads were part of this team and are part of this team, and they have been quite productive. And I think the reason we're able to be productive is because it's such a nice working environment. You know, we've got each other and there's different levels of how far ahead we are in dino tracking and everyone's just so close and keen to be helping out the new ones who join the team. And so there really is a lot of learning and sharing that goes on. And I will always be grateful that I started my postgrad journey in such an environment, because I know that not everybody is that lucky. And sometimes you work on a project on your own, and then really you are trudging through the trenches with a lot more difficulty. Yes, definitely. It really sounds like the most fabulous way to start your career in academia. And probably why so many of you are so enthusiastic about research and about continuing in academia. Yeah, I guess our our interests really get fueled, so we want to stick around. (laughs) 
It really is amazing. So your first first authored paper then, uh, perhaps you yeah. can give us an overview of that paper and how your role shifted from the first papers in the dino tracking team to this first paper that you led. Okay. So we always do field trip together, which was a really nice thing. And the site for my first authored paper, I went on the field work in my first year of master's and it was just like any other site. When we were there, we worked as a team. And at this point, it was me and Laura Shisho, Emma Scher, one of Emma Scher's friends and my PhD co-supervisor Fabienne Knoll. We were all on the trip and we were just data collecting like any other day. And I didn't think much of it when I was at the site, other than I was so excited to find some tracks and it was lovely. So we all worked together as always. And we pretty much became a well-oiled machine for how we documented track sites in the field. And then Emisha was like, okay, Ming, this can be your baby. Go for it. And I remember at the time being so excited and finding it a little bit daunting that here I was, I hadn't even written up anything of my master's and I was now going to be writing my first paper. And I remember the writing process was a little bit slow. I had had all this experience for a year dino tracking and being a part of this first paper and seeing how it got done. And that really helped me to like, chuck out the easier things like creating my figures and how I would present my data. But the actual interpreting of the footprints was a lot harder and I really had to delve into the reading. But it was nice that I was able to just have chats with Emisha, have chats with Laura. So they were really helpful. And I then also appreciated how much more work went into a paper. I think even when you watch people on the periphery and you read the drafts and give input, you still really don't understand how much time and effort's gone in until you are sitting there with a blank page yourself trying to bring it all together. And so that was really an eye-opening experience for how much work goes into a paper. And, you know, so many different things, including the writing, but getting the figures to the journal specifications and choosing which journal you're going to be submitting it to so that you could kind of write it in that format and not have to change it too much. And reference lists, oh my, reference lists were really <laughs> my Achilles heel and they still kind of are to this day. <laughs> but all of that attention to detail and, you know, it's your first time doing it and you really want to do a good job. And that's what I remember feeling at the time, excited, but also a little bit of pressure that I really wanted to create a draft that was like a worthy first draft and not something entirely abysmal. And it went well because ultimately it got published. And so that was really nice. Yes. And congratulations on the publication of that paper. It really is a huge achievement. And I think we don't take enough time to celebrate each of these milestones in academia. And for you, there are these two very important ones, your first paper, and, and you spoke about how exciting it was at the beginning of your master's to know that you're already a published author, but then also to really celebrate this first, first authored paper, because as you've expanded on the amount of effort that goes into writing a first authored paper, being responsible for all of these figures and the reference list, and drawing up a first draft that is really understandable by the rest of your co-authors and gives them something that they can work from in producing really valuable input is really a very challenging process and a very time intensive process, as you've said. So a huge congratulations to you on that. 
Thanks. And I remember the day we submitted it to the journal, rather cheesily, but I'll say it on this podcast, <laughs> is that I remember it so clearly. And I was in my office and then I went to Emisha's office. We were on the same floor at the time. And we sat there in front of her computer and we hit the submit button together. And there definitely was an air of celebration, even though it was just the two of us there literally clicking a button on a computer. It felt a lot grander. And it really was like a couple of months of work has really gone into this. And we reveled the moment, which was quite nice. Since then, you know, there's a little less celebration when you hit submit because you're just alone hitting submit. But that often. <laughs> remember so clearly and it felt like an achievement I mean we hadn't even had the feedback we were just submitting but we both had our hand on the mouse clicking submit <laughs> and I think I'll cherish that memory like for the rest of my life it was quite a nice um submission of a publication <laughs> that's so wonderful and I'm sure it won't oh. actually be uh, the only time that you press submit with someone else in the room because it has really stuck with you as such an important memory I'm sure when you have masters and PhD students who are submitting their first papers you're going to now be the person COVID allowing of course but the person yeah. to sit next to them in an office and press the button with them and yes. to celebrate it because that's also one of the amazing things about good supervision is it molds who we want to be as supervisors and it really yeah. creates this amazing template of the things that we want to be able to hand on to our own students in the years to come. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So my next question then relates to how these two experiences of being a contributing author and then the first author have guided your own sense of authorship going forward in subsequent papers and to what extent you're perhaps bringing together tools that you've learned from both of them in being able to form a more sustainable way of going forward where you aren't feeling completely overwhelmed by every reference list or, uh, you know, allowing people to come in and help you with things like figures, but at the same time developing project management skills around running the, the bigger projects that underpin these various papers. So. I was quite lucky that all of my subsequent publications in the last few years while I was doing my PhD was pretty much with the same team of people, sometimes adding some people, sometimes without some people. And like I said earlier, we really did get a rhythm of like who does what. So there's quite a few of us who work on dinosaur tracks but we don't necessarily share the same skill set per se. We can kind of do a little bit of what the other person does, but we each have our own niche within the niche. That's kind of like the work that we do. And so when we wrote future, future papers, by the time the drafts were being written, you kind of knew what your responsibility was and what you would be contributing to for a publication. And I think that that was quite useful. And I think in the future, myself now as an academic, someone who's getting students, I think I would always make it quite clear what's expected of everyone, because I don't think it's nice when there's some confusion or you feeling a little bit insecure about what your contribution is supposed to be. And so I do think it's, it, was, it was quite nice to work with the same team and have an idea all the time of what's the kind of thing you are doing for a paper. And then when I did a few more first author papers, the both of which came out last year when I was wrapping up my PhD, 
the one I really had to take charge for it and really get input from the other co-authors and really tell them what I wanted from them. And it was the first time that I'd really fulfilled that role. But again, it was people I was so comfortable working with that I feel like I slipped into it quite nicely. And I think that's the nice thing of really knowing your co-authors is that there is an expectation and you guys have a relationship and it makes it a lot easier when you're trying to formulate this piece of work together. And ultimately, even if you're the first author, it's a team effort and you're, you're all producing this piece of work. And then I wrote one paper a little bit more on my own because it was a chapter in my thesis. And that one, you know, I couldn't really ask anyone to really be doing anything. It was me that was taking the lead and pretty much doing everything. And I think it was a lot easier than it could have been because I had had these years of experience being part of other papers. And so I kind of knew what was expected and I really enjoyed doing it not on my own because I had Emisha helping me and I also had my co-supervisor who gave input but really I was in charge of all the facets and had to do the bulk of the writing because it was part of my thesis and it felt good to have something that was a little bit more mine on my own and it was a site that I had cherished when I went on field work I kind of went to the site the first time when I started my master's and then I had gone subsequent times on field trips that I had led by myself with other team members but I was in charge and so the site had really felt like my own site and it did feel like a personal achievement when it became a paper and got published because it felt like a site that I had been connected to for years and finally got to do the justice and have a publication and you know be in charge of different facets of the paper which was quite nice. Again, I really am just reflecting on how incredibly diverse your experiences have been, especially for somebody so early in in their career as a researcher, to have been a contributor to a paper, a leader of a site, somebody who writes as a first author with the same team and then starts to branch out into broader things. It's really incredible just how diverse your experiences have been and will set you up so incredibly well for a future in the sciences. Yeah, I am very grateful, again, to have been part of a team because, yeah, I wouldn't have had these experiences otherwise. And and it's also nice now when I carry on with my career and I'm leading some projects, I've started one, but it doesn't have any publications yet. But it's nice to have had all of these experiences as different contributors to a paper because I feel like I have a clearer idea of what I can expect from the people I work with in the future when it comes to publications and also to know what I need to expect from myself as the person who potentially leads the paper. So I think it has given me good perspective, which I will carry on with in my future projects. Yeah, it's really wonderful. So moving slightly perhaps away from all of this great news and these wonderful stories of really model supervision and the wonders of working in a team like this. Let's move on to the review process, which of course is not always quite as smooth and quite as enjoyable. And I wonder if you have any experiences in the review process that have really stuck with you. Uh, Of course, we usually think of the review process as being negative and uh, you may have some stories of some of the less than enjoyable reviews, but sometimes we do also have really great reviews or reviews which, although they are challenging, encourage us to 
extend ourselves and improve our science. So yes, yeah. any experiences that you want to share in that regard? Yes, I found the review process to be, I think one needs to step back. You know, I like to look at that email which goes, congratulations, your paper has been accepted and then the reviews attached or whatever. And just actually take the afternoon when I get that email to really just enjoy the fact that a paper has been accepted rather than dwell on the fact that there's going to be some criticism <laughs> in a PDF. But I did find that, you know, everyone's working together to produce a better body of science. And so those reviews, as long as you remember that it's ultimately improving your final product, they're not that hard to take. <laughs> and I know that with time, it does get easier, or at least it feels like that for me. And for the first paper, Emisha, well, the first paper where I was the lead author, Emisha was the corresponding author. So she received the first round of um, feedback or the only round of feedback. But she did something really nice that I'll always appreciate. And she kind of tabulates the feedback. And she'll write to you and say like, okay, there's different levels of like intensity for the comments. So some comments could be like level one and you'll fix them in five seconds and there'll be like the spelling errors or a couple of grammatical mistakes. And then she'll just say, oh, here's something where like the person suggested a paper to add to it. And I think having had her tabulate it and kind of give it a hierarchy really made like approaching feedback the review a lot easier and that's something that we've continued to do with all the later publications and also the ones where I was the corresponding person and in charge of the feedback so that was quite nice in my most recent paper when I was the first author you know the site that I cherished so much I remember getting the feedback and I was quite nervous and I had submitted the paper long before I'd submitted couple of months before I submitted my PhD and so I was getting the review and I think in my mind I was thinking whatever this review has you know it's really a commentary on my whole thesis as a whole but I know it wasn't in retrospect but that's what it felt like when I opened the review and I was just so pleasantly surprised by it and the review it was actually quite chilled I'd known one of the reviewers and the feedback, I, I then realized that the review can also be very, very enriching. Like some, sometimes people will add comments that aren't about your work, but adjacent to your work. And they're just like, oh, it's so interesting. Like here's some papers and you can have a conversation, but not a conversation with a reviewer where really they're like, I think, you know, maybe they see that you're a young researcher and so they give some input there into things that they think could be interesting or helpful to you. And I think it's quite nice that people in our field do that, you know, take the time, go the extra mile. It's not really um, needed, but it is quite nice when you see that in a review. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think another thing is Emma Sher such a great supervisor also she really encouraged that you know the draft that you submit must be the best version of itself and so I feel like that also helps when you do the reviewers you know when you've sent it in that it really was the best that you could do at the time and so I think it the feedback you get isn't as bad because you did put a lot a lot of effort into it yeah I, I don't have any horrid experiences with the feedback and 
I actually, I think the draft feedback when you guys are talking amongst yourselves is I've found it in the past a bit harder because the original body of work is a draft, a lot more to absorb than the reviewer's feedback. Yes, and I think it's also quite challenging to receive feedback from people who are very well known to you. I mean, you've said that in one or two cases, you've known who the reviewers are, but usually we don't. And yeah. there's something quite comforting to that anonymity that you don't know who they are. They probably don't know who you are, depending on whether it's single or double blind. But that yeah. behind that veil of anonymity, there is space for you to, to mess up in inverted commas or to need to improve. But there's also space for the reviewer to be somebody who really is at arm's length and you, you don't feel any sense of shame or disappointment or guilt or, or anything related to it. Whereas if it's your co-author and it's somebody you've spent lots of time in the field with, and particularly if it's somebody who you really look up to, either as yeah. somebody senior to you or a colleague of yours, that it is quite difficult to get their feedback if they're not very happy and if you've led a paper uh, to yeah. really digest that and, and feel okay with the fact that they aren't as happy as you'd hoped they'd be because you've sent them a draft that you thought was a really strong draft and you've put a lot of work into and to know that they're not as impressed with it as you were with it is often quite difficult to handle. Yeah, and I don't think one ever gets used to that. <laughs> I think your writing and your style improves. But yes, that close criticism is always I get the one that you take a little bit closer to heart than when it is a reviewer. Absolutely. Um, and I think something's yeah. so important to recognize that we are getting feedback at various stages. And I think lots of people really brace themselves for the review stage. But while they're writing, they're expecting everyone to hold hands and be friendly. And, and they probably are holding your hand and they probably are being friendly. But if they are concerned about something and their name is going on it, they have a responsibility to raise that as unpleasant as it may be, probably yeah. for them and for you, because they don't want to yeah. be the person to say, this is this needs improvement or this needs to be changed. I think it's just really important for one to remember that, you know, you're all working on it together and ultimately you all have the same goal and that is to produce the best piece of work that you as a unit can. And in order to do that, there will be some criticisms, but there will also be applauses for things that you've done well. And you Absolutely. just, it's a balance of those two things. And definitely as someone who's starting out in academia, when I'm supervising an honor student, I try and take that experience that I've had and I try to do the same with them, even for something like an honors project rather than a paper is to just strike a good balance between the criticisms and also pointing out the things that they do absolutely well. Definitely. And I think also for each of us to remember to hold as much weight to the compliments that we're given and to the criticisms, because I think it's so easy to just gloss over things where people say nicely written or well done or good point. And we go, yeah, well, I know it's a good point. I wrote it and keep going <laughs> and then really put so much focus onto the negatives that you finish the process going, oh no, my paper's not great and they're not happy, but you haven't really taken equal note of both types of comments that have come in. Yeah, I think that is a hard thing to deal with. And I think with more experience and time, you become better at like weighting them similarly. I think also it's experience and time, but it's also making a very deliberate effort. I think you can get 
very far down the line in a very, very negative space and allow that negative space to build and build. Or you can yeah. take a step back and really try and recognize that there is both good and bad in any feedback, whether from reviewers or your co-authors. And that at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to feel what you're feeling, but also then to, to make it a manageable space and to make it a sustainable place for you to keep working in that particular field yeah. and, and with those people and to recognize how amazing it is to be part of a team, that you don't want to build resentment towards one of your team members purely because you're only taking on the bad rather than seeing both the, the good and the bad as equally weighted components. Yeah. And it's not criticism of the self, right? It's just of whatever's on the piece of paper there. And that's also important to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. You are spot yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, so the last question that I want to ask you is having had such amazing supervision and being part of such a fantastic team, You've spoken a little bit about things that you want to do and that you are already doing with your own students, but what are the biggest things that you are putting down for yourself as a, a kind of rule book of how you want to lead people in their own journeys in writing their first papers or contributing to their first papers? What are the things that you are hoping to be able to do and obviously sitting together and clicking the button we hope that COVID will soon allow us to be able to do that but some of the other things might be less tangible. One of the things is definitely how I give feedback for anything future papers work I really I know what it's like to receive feedback and it was just the other day that I wasn't a PhD person receiving the feedback and I feel like when I'm giving feedback, I want it to be in a way that doesn't make someone who's just starting out, who doesn't really know how to balance the criticisms and the good things. I, I want to give them feedback where overwhelmingly it, it, it sounds positive and then the negatives come as a softer blow because, you know, we are nurturing people and we're wanting them to stay in the sciences. And I hope that I never become so far removed that I just flippantly give a comment that's not that positive and, and don't realize how the other person could receive it that that's quite important to me I, I hope I don't become like that and yeah I really hope that in the future I can have a team environment for me I really flourished under having a group of students I think there's a lot in having peers whom you you can relate to and work with and so Going forward, I'd love to have a, a student research team where people work on similar topics because I think that peer learning is so important and it creates a good vibe <laughs> and it's quite nice. Yeah, those are two things that I really valued from my experience that I'd want to carry on in academia. Of course, it's a little bit harder when you're working with other academics. You just kind of, I don't know, I'm mold into kind of how they do things, but everyone's pretty friendly. So I haven't had any problems yet. But those are the things I, and also to let students or collaborators have their own voice too, you know, never to make anyone like, I, definitely because I worked in such a team environment, even though there was someone who was in charge, you always had an opportunity to, to give your opinion or to take some initiative on something. And in the future, I would want it to be the same. If I was collaborating with someone, 
whether it's someone older and more established than myself or with a student, I, I want everyone to be able to be comfortable if they feel like, oh, this is something they're really into, that they're able to go off on that and really take the lead. Or when we're in the field, it's they can take initiative. Oh, no, I think documenting this is a bit more streamlined. And yeah, those are the kind of things I want to do. Those are all amazing things. And it's really wonderful to know that there's going to be another whole generation of students who have had the experiences that you've had because you'll be, in a sense, playing those forward. So I'm really excited to see what comes from all of your students in the years to come. And of course, as an early career researcher, you have many, many, many years of, of supervision ahead of you. And as you say, yeah. a number of years of collaboration with people who are senior to you, with your direct colleagues, and then with these teams that will hopefully continue to be formed and with these really interdisciplinary spaces where people can bring in their own areas of expertise, but also uh, teams across different levels so that people who are honors or master's students do get the space to be able to have their opinion heard or make their contributions, however large or small they may be. And I really think that is how we build really strong science because it's not about just stroking the egos of the person who's most senior, but creating a space where people can share whatever it is that they are seeing or observing or recording. And from that, you're most likely to be able to come to really exciting findings and the type of data and the type of results that can really take science forward. Yeah, yeah. These good nurturing environments. And I think everyone can learn from everyone. So that's also quite nice, whether you're more established or not. Yes, absolutely. I think yeah. you've raised some really important points in, in today's interview about the real value of a supportive environment, the importance of being able to recognize how you as an individual and yourself differs from the writing on paper and how to handle a range of different types of feedback in a way that allows you to sustainably engage in long-term scientific research. So thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. It's been really wonderful chatting to you, Ming. Thanks for having me. I thought this podcast series idea was such a good one, and I'm glad that I could be a part of it. Well, I'm very glad that you have been too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revise, Rebut, and Resubmit. Hopefully it's given you some insight into the process of academic writing and approaching that first academic paper. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of this show, please subscribe to this podcast. A huge thanks again to the Centre of Excellence for Paleoscience for supporting this work.